Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Ethan Siegel. And we're going to talk about Star Wars and uh, maybe Star Trek and the technology in these movies and how it's uh, appearing in real life and what may appear and what may not appear. So, Ethan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here on the Future Technology Podcast with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. So, can you give listeners just a quick sketch of your background and then we'll talk about the topic? Sure. Uh, my name is Ethan Siegel. I'm a theoretical astrophysicist. I've been a research scientist, astronomer. Uh, I've been a professor for about seven years. Um, and uh, most recently, I focus most of my efforts on science writing and science communication. And I have a new book coming out in October called Treknology, which is about the real-life science behind uh, 28 of the different technologies envisioned by Star Trek. Uh, and Star Trek The Next Generation. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. I grew up, as I'm sure a lot of people did, with Star Trek, um, Star Wars, all these these great uh, great shows. Even the original Star Trek, you know, I watched with William Shatner and everything, and it was so far ahead of its time. It was amazing. So uh, can you give uh, listeners an idea? You know, we don't want to give away the book, but can we give them a taste of some of the stuff in there, maybe some of the enticing, cool things that you've discovered, uh, the correlation between the shows and real life? You know, some of the amazing things are uh, a lot of the technologies that we use today, um, things like cell phones, things like tablets, uh, things like flash drives. Um, these, these ideas had their seeds planted by Star Trek. It's really hard to imagine, given how ubiquitous some of the technologies are today that we just experience in our daily lives, to realize how far ahead of their time they were when they were first envisioned. You know, anytime you walk into a supermarket or an airport, uh, you just step in and the doors part ways. But sliding doors were a pretty new innovation that Star Trek just envisioned. When the original Star Trek came out, computers were the size of were the size of an entire room and were about as powerful as your four-function calculator that you probably haven't dusted off in about 10 years. And the, that they envisioned how quickly things would, things would advance, that they envisioned a computer that you could issue voice commands to and it would talk back to you, that they envisioned uh, crazy technologies like transparent aluminum and matter-antimatter containment and futuristic technologies that we're still looking forward to, like transporters and warp drive, um, many of these, like all of these seemed incredibly futuristic, and yet here we are 50 years on from the debut of Star Trek, and some of these technologies still seem very far off, but others are either possible, things we're closing in on, or in some cases, things we've achieved and surpassed. Um, so, so I would say from communications to military applications to civilian applications to medical breakthroughs um, and to ship-based technologies, we've, we've really come an incredible way. And, you know, given that 
given that it's been half a century since the debut of Star Trek, and this year marks 30 since the debut of Star Trek The Next Generation, which which is the Star Trek I grew up with. Um, this is... Uh, this is a great time to really take a look back at how far we've come and where we might be headed as the years go by. Okay, great. Um, any technologies that, uh, do you discuss ones that aren't in real life and are really, really far away, maybe like transportation or transporting, you know, how they beam people up and beam them down? Do you talk about that in the book or do you just talk about the ones that are actually uh, in real life? No, all of them. You, you I... I'll, I'll, I'll even challenge you to go deep and try and think about something that is a technology that Star Trek envisioned that we don't have and won't have um, ever, because I think one of the one of the things that physics teaches us is that you know there are limits, right? There are laws of nature that everything in the universe has to obey. So that doesn't necessarily mean that every technology we look at. Um, is impossible. It's just necessarily impossible given the laws and constraints we know today. But we can ask ourselves like, oh, we don't have a deflector shield. We don't have a transporter. We don't have warp drive. Uh, but what would it take to make one? And how close are we to that? And for something like a transporter, there are obstacles. I'm, I'm happy to talk about that one uh, because one of the things that we know is if I take all the electrons in your body and I replace them with electrons from someplace else, you're still going to be the same person. The, the atoms in your body have no way of telling different electrons apart from one another. There's, there's no special property that makes this electron different from that electron. So in principle, I could take all of the particles from your body, disassemble them, reassemble you out of different particles, but, but in the same exact configuration, and no one would be able to tell if that person that I've created is different from you. Even the new you that I built would be unable to, to say, oh, I'm, I'm not that same person. But as soon as I deconstruct that original you, do you cease to exist? I think one of the great things that Star Trek brings up is not just these technological possibilities and not just these these physical possibilities and and yes we've we've made progress but we're not there yet we we don't have a transporter yet that you could step into but there's this ethical question surrounding this like if you did successfully transport somebody would you destroy the unique you-ness of that person and that's a question that we don't have an answer to yet because we're not entirely sure how this works one of the strange facts of existence is if that I were to look at your body and your bones and your muscles and all the cells and even all the atoms in your body and say how many of these were inside you um, 10 years ago hmm. the answer is way way less than a tenth of a percent Almost every atom in your body is different than the atoms that were in your body 10 years ago. And yet you're still the same person, at least you think you are, with your same memories and a continuity of existence. But what is it then that makes you, you? And would, would copying you or taking you apart and, and reintegrating you, would that actually make an identical you? 
would you continue with your own thoughts and your own consciousness, or would it be someone else? Would it be as though you ceased to exist the moment you were transported and then someone new was recreated? And I think these are some of the big questions that, you know, I don't know how we'll answer because all you can do is ask the person who remains at the end and they're going to say, yes, I, I do exist. I always existed. This is, this is me. But as far as the you that was transported before, how would that break down? It's a really interesting question. Yeah, it is. You know, you, it, it's like, what is the nature of consciousness itself? You know, we're, we're a collection of neurons and, you know, what, what makes the emergent property of consciousness, you know, what makes you, you, I guess when we get to the point where we can do a brain transplant, we'll get closer to the answer. And then maybe if we could ever do, you know, teleportation or this, uh, you know, beam me up, beam me down type stuff, um, we'll get even closer to the answer. But yeah, you're right. That's very interesting. Hmm. It's really interesting as well, because I, I think there are, there are all sorts of questions that, that we, all sorts of things we do know, right? And, and that's an important thing, too, is to remember what we do already know. If I, if I said, like, be, you, you have to be more than a collection of neurons, because what's the difference between a living human being and a dead human being? It's, it's not the number of neurons you have, and it's not any atoms or particles in your body at all. It's the electricity in your brain. If I turned... If I turned you know, the electricity in your brain off, then you and who you are, you would feel that ceases to exist. Um, And so would it be possible then to, would it be possible then to just say, oh, you know what, let's, uh, let's take that electrical pattern and let's make a completely artificial being like an android that has that pattern. So that's another technology that comes up in the book is the ability to have androids, the ability to have a fully artificially intelligent being. And if you were able to do that and understand the human brain, would it be possible then to put an entire human brain, to put the thoughts and memories of a human into a virtually indestructible body, into a body that could be repaired or turned on and turned off? And would that be alive? And would it be the same kind of life that you that you understand now? That would be really weird. It was actually a, a really weird movie called Chappie that came out uh, maybe a year ago, and that's what happened: is this this robot was created, and it you know it had a conscious, and eventually, um, one you know it'd be a spoiler, but you know the, the, one of the main characters in the show they port his consciousness into another robot, so it's exactly what you said, you know, it's a, a repairable, semi-indestructible uh, body, and the brain is housed in it. And there was also another movie, uh, Ghost in the Shell, that came out, you know, similar concept. They transplanted this woman's brain into, an, into a mechanical body. And the same thing. Yeah, these are pretty scary concepts, but they're very interesting. This sounds like it's going to be a great book. I'm really excited um, for it. I'm really excited for it as well. Uh, you know, it comes out mid-October, and uh, one of my favorite things about it is we were able to secure the official license rights from CBS Studios and Paramount Pictures for still images from any of the TV series and movies that are part of the Star Trek franchise. So, um, so it's not just it's not just this really intricate and interesting examination. I've also seen the final layout, and it's a beautiful book as well. That 
that on pretty much every page you get a glimpse into how how did a transporter, how did warp drive, how do photon torpedoes, um, how do tractor beams, you know, play a role in the Star Trek universe. And it's peppered in with real life pictures of the technologies we have today that that are working towards these or that have achieved them. So cool. How come no one's done this before? This seems like uh, such a cool thing, you know? You know, I think the closest anyone came um, is a book that came out, and this will tell you exactly how old I am. Uh, when I was in my final year of high school, this is 1996, um, Lawrence Krauss, a physicist, published a book called The Physics of Star Trek. Um, and he, he, he examined many of these technologies to see if they're, like, if they're physically possible and what it would take for some of them. But what's fantastic about that is our science has really advanced so much in the last two decades that some of the technologies that he thought were extremely speculative exist now. And some of the technologies like warp drive that he had declared were impossible now seem to be possible. And we've, in fact, quantified the conditions under which under which we think they will exist. So I think that that a whole lot of progress has been made. And, um, you know, I think a combination of factors came together that we were able to get the license rights for this and and that we were able to put together a, a really compelling story about this, um, you know, just in time for, I mean, if the book comes out in October, that should be just in time for the premiere of the new Star Trek series, uh, which will come out this uh, fall on CBS, uh, Star Trek Discovery, which I'm really curious about. Yeah, who was, do you know, who was it that was had such a mind for the future? Was it Gene Roddenberry, who I know has passed away, or was it um, other writers that came up with all this stuff? You know, who who thought of all these so things Gene, back in the 60s? Gene Roddenberry was, was a tremendous driving force in all of this, right? Gene Roddenberry was the person who pretty much envisioned this is this is what the future is going to to be like. This is what humanity is going to do be doing uh, in this future. Like this is this is what we have to look forward to. But it's important to remember that Gene Roddenberry wasn't working in a vacuum. He was not the only person with these with these grand plans and visions. That there were many different people who contributed to this. And in some cases, it was actually the cutting-edge science that drove the envisioning of some of these technologies. Um, in other cases, it was just it was just a need for it. You know, uh, I think we've always had a problem in our society as far back as we record society uh, with alcohol abuse and people getting too drunk for their own good and for the good of their families. And what Star Trek came up with was this idea, and I think this was Star Trek The Next Generation, with the idea of synthahol, with the idea of, and this was definitely Gene Roddenberry's idea, of a, <laughs> of a substance that you can drink that would, would have a, an effect on your body that would give you all the positive effects of drunkenness, that would give you the feeling of euphoria and self-confidence and the loss of inhibitions and and the good things we associate with being drunk, but that wouldn't give you any of the bad things. That wouldn't give you um, that wouldn't give you the the nausea. That wouldn't give you the um, the dehydration. That wouldn't give you that feeling of hangover. That wouldn't kill the brain cells. That wouldn't give you the disorientation. <laughs> um, and 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 so he envisioned this uh, drug. He called it synthahol. That 
that people would would drink instead. And as we look at what we have today, we actually have a whole class of substances of of pharmaceuticals that have been developed that appear to that appear to give exactly that type of effect, um, which is mm. fascinating, and and is also I think a testament to how how incredible this these technologies are that that yeah um, you know we can envision um, something that has these effects and here we are today in the tw- in the year 2017 and we're able to look at oh what's the configuration of the receptor that causes this feeling and how can we make something that binds to that receptor that inhibits binding to this other receptor also and that's a problem that people are actively working on and taking steps towards so i think i think a lot of these technologies that have been envisioned are um they're really fascinating for a variety of reasons but what's amazing is the way they're being brought to fruition is something we can maybe expect for a great number of them within our lifetimes that as as the years tick by we're going to see maybe synthahol will suddenly be sold in stores alongside alcohol maybe um maybe you'll be able to just pick up a a visor uh for your for your loss of vision at the store and have those signals transmitted directly into your brain and be able to see even though your eyes don't work anymore. Maybe we'll be able to uh, put in uh, cortical implants like the Borg had or do a genetic augmentation of ourselves like like Khan from Wrath of Khan had that, that we'll be able yeah. to do that retroactively uh, using something like the CRISPR-Cas9 mechanism. Uh, so there are there are a lot of big dreams here, and it's important to remember that that many of these technological dreams really still are just in their infancy. But but that doesn't mean that they aren't going to have the benefits and the potential to benefit humanity um, in ways that are maybe even greater than Star Trek ever dreamed of. True. Um, yeah, other movies, I mean, movies, it's true. Movies and TV do seem to be a big source of, um, of the best future type stuff. You know, Minority Report, that was a great movie that came out, I don't know how many years ago, not too long, but, uh, it had a lot of, you know, it had touch screens in it and it had all kinds of things that are coming out now, which is really amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Minority Report was really a fascinating one to me. Um, even though they didn't really use uh, AI for it, um, for predicting, like, the ability to do that, the ability to take, like, we see these patterns, and of course this is based on a very famous uh, Philip K. Dick story uh, from the 1950s. Um, But I think when we look at that today, um, you say, you know what, this is kind of what the whole field of predictive analytics and big data is trying to do. It's trying to aggregate all of this huge, large amount of information that we have to try and predict the behavior of a complex system evolving into the future. Um, and, and so this idea of pre-crime from Minority Report might be something where people can actually take some of this information and put it into a computer that's been properly programmed and be able to successfully extrapolate, oh, this disaster might occur or this uh, this strange event might take place. Like there's there's a lot of things that that aren't coming out exactly the way 
we envision them in science fiction, but that are having the same results as what we envisioned in science fiction back in the 20th century. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. Anything um, we can talk about that's, that's either in your book, but go over it just very lightly or not in your book that you wanted to include, but you couldn't include, you know, to entice listeners to, I'm, I'm, I'm enticed beyond all belief. I'm pre-ordering it. If it's on Amazon. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will I will tell everyone that the book is absolutely available for pre order on Amazon today. It's just called Treknology and uh and I, I encourage everyone to go ahead and check it out because it's it's gonna be fantastic. I I, I know because I've written it and I've had some preliminary reviews come in and they're all extremely positive, although Although those have not been uh, those have not been officially released, uh, we call hmm. it the science of Star Trek from tricorders to warp drive. I think one of the most right. fascinating things in that book that I got to learn about and research was the potential for a photon torpedo. Um, we look at something like photon torpedoes and we say, like, oh, what crazy sort of future weapon technology is that? The ability to just, you know, take something that's in a casing that moves through space and when it hits its target, it just releases a tremendous amount of pure energy uh, that can blow pretty much anything apart. Um, that seems like a crazy weapon, especially given that, you know, our, our most powerful devices, like these nuclear bombs that we build, even the nuclear fusion bombs that we build, there's just, they, they don't do anything like that. Um, and yet photon torpedoes are absolutely possible. They rely on this idea that on one side of a device, you have a bunch of matter, and on the other side of the torpedo, you have a bunch of antimatter, and they're held, contained separately. And at the critical moment when you want that torpedo to detonate, you just remove the barrier separating from the matter from the antimatter. They annihilate into pure energy, into just photons, into particles of light, and they irradiate huh. anything around. Now, this is physically possible, but as a technology, it just seems so far off because the only way we ever knew to create antimatter was in incredibly high-energy collisions, which means they're moving super fast and we can only create individual particles. So that means they're moving super close to the speed of light and they're charged particles and most of them are unstable and any time one of these particles runs into matter, it annihilates immediately. So how could we ever build a photon torpedo? You fast forward to 2017, and not only have we created antimatter, but we've created neutral antimatter, where we've taken antiprotons and antielectrons, and we've, we've made them close to the speed of light, but we figured out how to slow them down so much that we can get them to bind together to form neutral anti-hydrogen. And now they're working on building up heavier elements of antimatter. We've examined this anti-hydrogen and determined that it behaves exactly like the laws of physics predict. But what's most fascinating to me is we've been able to confine it. The record is that they've confined antimatter now for over a thousand seconds, around, around 20 minutes, they've managed to confine neutral antimatter. Now, it's only been a few atoms, or anti-atoms, I guess, of this neutral antimatter. 
But that is such a huge step because once you prove that this is not just possible in principle, but that we have this proof of concept where we've made the neutral antimatter and we've confined it and we've kept it stable for long periods of time, that really opens the door to the next step, which is to confine large amounts of it in a small volume and keep it isolated from matter. That final step is just going to be forcing that annihilation at the crucial moment. So I think there yeah. is, like, you, you looked at something like, like this most fantastic of fantasy weapons of all as something that we couldn't do as antimatter containment, as what a pipe dream. And yet here we are, and we're on the cusp of, you know, we've just proven this technology is practically possible, and now we're at the stage of making it actually happen. Yeah. I have a question. Maybe it's um, down a different track, but... You know, it's interesting to talk to you and to listen to you. And, you know, I've taken physics and I'm sure a lot of people have, but, you know, most professors are really boring. So <laughs> is one of the reasons you're creating this book because you just have a gift for explaining things in an interesting way? Or, you know, what's your opinion on what I just said? Um, you know, I think I think teaching in general, uh, the idea to communicate complex topics to an audience that doesn't have that same expert knowledge that you yourself developed is is itself its own skill that, you know, I think some people have an innate talent for, but I think is also something we need to work on. When I when I communicate something to someone, uh my my first goal is to sort of assess what is what is the level I want to communicate this at? Like, what's my thought process that's going to go into it? And what I do is I try and remember, what was it like for me before I knew this, before I knew these things, where I, I still thought of myself as a, as a smart person, that if you give me the right information... Uh, that I can I can learn it I can understand it but it's not it's not at my fingertips it's not something that I that I'm intimately familiar with so where do I where do I start from there and so what I try and do is I try and start from a point where I think everyone will be comfortable how can I start by telling a story where I think everyone's going to be on common ground Right, people aren't going to dispute me in general if I start you off with the assumption that, oh, the Earth is round and is held together by gravity. Right, people people won't won't really protest that idea. Um, but but if I start at a place where I'm like, okay, so we're going to start by talking about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, people are going to be like, hang on, like that's that's too. That's too uncomfortable of a starting point here. Can you pick a better starting point? Because I think the way to get to some place that, that maybe at the end people would have been uncomfortable if you started there is you can start and say, well, hey, you're, you're familiar with the idea that human bodies are made of atoms, right? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, okay, well, atoms are made up of an atomic nucleus and an electron. And you're like, okay. And then you can start talking about the electron and, and when you fire things at it, that you can sometimes hit that electron and figure out where it is. And you say, okay. And then I can talk to you about, right? So what, I, what I'm doing in this discussion, whenever I do it, is I feel like I'm... I'm starting at a place where we're comfortable. I'm going to take a small step 
to a place where you know, maybe you're less comfortable there, but we're only taking a small step and we're taking the time and we're taking the care to sort of take you to that next step. And then once we're comfortable there, we can take another step. And once you're comfortable there, we can keep doing this until we wind up at wherever it is we desired to end up at. That's that's the goal and that's the strategy that I use to try and get there. I, I will freely admit it's not always successful, but I like to think that that's an approach that that is going to be successful more times than not with pretty much any topic you decide to take on. So for me, I think it's a, it's a combination of, yes, I, I am passionate about that, and there's no, there's no way to hide that passion, and there's no reason to hide that passion. Just let it come out in everything you do. But the other thing is be mindful of what your audience knows. I had this idea presented to me of to think of your audience like, like they're Martians, not like you guys are from Mars, you don't understand anything I'm saying, but rather to think of them as like, if you were a Martian, right, if you were an intelligent alien or idea of a Martian that found themselves here on Earth, you would have all the intelligence you'd need to understand anything that a human understands, but you wouldn't have the experience with it. So that's my goal in communicating something is to impart to you those key insights from the experience that you're unfamiliar with. And if I can do that, then you should be able to understand anything I'm talking about if I do a good job. Makes sense, yeah. Are you going to have the book on Audible? Is it going to be an audio book? Because, they, you know, the way you speak and you have such passion about it, it's, it's interesting literally to listen to you. So I think that, you know, you have a good voice to voice it. Well, I I appreciate that uh I appreciate that vote of confidence. If they asked me to record one, I think I I think I would be game for that. I think uh I think getting the information out there that I'm excited about in whatever format makes it more accessible to people is something that you should always go after. If so I would be just as I would be supportive of them making a braille edition of the book, I think that would be important just as I think it would be important to make editions of the book in a foreign language. I think making something in an audio format would be great also. I and and if asked, I would be more than happy to read it and record it myself. Okay, well very good. Uh where's it going to be uh, who's going to be put out by and will it be on Amazon and where where can people get it? It's it's on Amazon right now. If you'd like to pre-order it, in fact, I think it's even on sale on Amazon right now, which uh, which is kind of exciting. Um, there was a point about a month ago that someone pointed out to me that my book was the number one pre-sale uh, book in television shows of all, and I was I was pretty excited about that. Um, but hmm. but what I'd really recommend doing is, um, you know. This this book I think is is going to be very big. It's going to be it's going to be in bookstores, um, but you can get it now on Amazon. And if you if you want anything special, I'm I'm going to be going around on tours to various uh, science fiction and fantasy and literary conventions uh, over the coming right. year. And I'll be at uh, I'll be at various bookstores. I really hope to be at Powell's in Portland, Oregon, very soon. When that comes out, and I think uh, I think uh, you know I'm I'm really happy to talk with fans who are interested in it. I'm really happy to sign books, and I'm really happy to personalize them and answer questions that people have. Because for me, the the best 
thing that could come out of this is to not only get people excited about the stories that are here, but to get people excited about the entire enterprise of science. You know, for me, science literacy is not necessarily about, like, how many facts can you rattle off to me and how many, how many interesting things can you identify or name or, or speak about. What I really want to know is, do you have an awareness and an appreciation for what the enterprise of science is and for how it benefits humanity? To me, that's where Star Trek really, really shines is that it it took this idea, you know, it's so easy to have like a minority report, like a dystopian future where technology invades our privacy and destroys our security and accuses us of crimes we haven't yet committed. Um, But Star Trek was never like that. Star Trek was the idea that we can use the technology we benefit, we make for the benefit of all of humanity, that we can arrive at this virtual utopia where, where oh, you don't have uh, something you want? Well, just replicate it. Um, and now we have 3D printers that are coming closer and closer to making that a reality. Oh, you, you don't have uh, someone who's a good cook? Don't worry about that. We... We don't need to worry about things like hunger anymore. We have virtually unlimited resources. And if we can solve our energy needs, um, we honestly, if we could make cheap, abundant energy, that would be probably the biggest step to, to coming up with exactly this, to coming up with exactly the phenomenon you need to to get rid of these societal problems that have plagued humanity for as long as there's been human society. Um, so I, I think there's there's that extra piece that Star Trek really add that made it special. That it adds this it adds this optimism. It reminds us that that maybe now more than ever you need to remember that yes, absolutely, um, this is the future. This is a future that we can make, and we can make anything possible. We can make anything possible that we imagine. Cool. Very good. Well, uh, last question. How can listeners uh, find out where your tour is going to go and when it's going to arrive so they can come see you in person? Do you have a website or on your publisher's website? Where can they go? So, uh, Technology is published by Quarto, and so that'll be coming out, and They'll be posting information, but I'll be posting information. I also write extensively about science and many of the science and scientific issues facing the world today um, on Forbes. I have a regular column there. It's called Starts with a Bang, um, and I probably publish about six articles a week there. Um, If you follow me at Starts with a Bang on Twitter, or you follow the Starts with a Bang page on Facebook, or you... Um, or you just go to Starts with a Bang on Forbes, you'll be able to find out all of that information. I'm I'm really easy to get a hold of, and uh, and and I probably shouldn't just say this online, but if you need to say something to me because you you have a question or you need to get a hold of me or you you want you have an idea for a column that you'd like to see on Forbes or an article, uh, you can send it to Starts with a Bang at Gmail dot com, and I'll get it there. Okay, very good. Well, Ethan, thanks so much for coming, and it's been a really great call. I really appreciate you coming to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, 
All the best to you and all your listeners. Thanks for joining me. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.